Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time of study that we can have together. Thank you for the new year. And thank you, Lord, for the blessings of this past week. Lord, as we now come to study your word, please grace us with thy presence. Illumine our hearts and minds. Teach us with thy word and with thy spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Well, our study for this evening is quite a famous parable that many people talk about. It is the parable of the ten virgins. And this is found in the beginning of Matthew 25. Now, this parable really is linked with the previous parable and will be linked with the next two parables after that. So do come and study together with us as we're going to study all these four parables and tie them all together as we look into really the third last parable of all the parable series that we'll be studying. And we're going to begin in Matthew 25, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Now, friends, remember that we had studied the the previous parable in relation to the faithful and wise servant last week. And in that parable, there were very two clear groups, right? One was faithful and one was evil. A very clear distinction. However, when it comes to the parable of the ten virgins and really the parables after this, all in found in Matthew 25, the line of distinction between these two groups, between the good and the bad, between the righteous and the unrighteous, between the faithful and the wicked or evil, it's more faint. It's not as clearly distinguished. They're all virgins here in this parable. And all the virgins are thought of, at least virgins in the Bible, are thought of in a positive light, right? It's never a negative aspect that we, or negative angle that we look at it from. So it seems like as time progresses, to distinguish between the good and the bad in the church, it'll be a lot harder. Now, these 10 virgins, they're all waiting for the bridegroom to come. And who does the bridegroom represent? Well, that represents Jesus, of course. And we saw this in the previous study when we looked at the parable of the wise and the faithful servants versus the evil or the wicked. But how about virgins? What does a virgin represent in the Bible? Now, we already know that a virgin must be a woman here in this sense. So we know that a woman represents a church according to Ephesians 5.25, right? But a virgin is even more pure, even more holy, even more consecrated. So what does the Bible talk about virgins in the last days? Let's go over to Revelation 14, verses 4 and 5. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So these virgins, my friends, they follow Jesus everywhere. And it says that they have no fault, they have no guile. So a virgin in the last day seems to represent God's last day people and God's last day church. But you see, Five are wise and five are foolish. What is the line of demarcation between these two groups of people? 
let's go back to our original text found in Matthew 25. And we're going to read the rest of the parable and then go through it slowly. All right, so going back to Matthew 25, we're going to read verses 3 to 9. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Look, firstly, let's have a look at what was in common between all the ten virgins. First, yes, they're all virgins. We've already seen that. But then they all had lamps, right? And in their lamps, all of them had oil there. We know this because while they all slept, their lamps went out. So even the foolish virgins had oil in their lamps at the very beginning. And then one more thing that was common about all of them is all virgins slept, all right? So there's quite a lot in common between all 10 virgins. But there is one thing, there is one main difference between these two groups, between the wise and the foolish. The wise virgins, the Bible says, took extra oil in their vessel. The foolish didn't. So they didn't just have oil in their lamps. They had extra oil in their vessels, which was like a pouch or a container or a bucket to hold more oil just in case extra oil was needed. Why didn't the foolish, though, take extra oil? I mean, you got to think about this, right? What was the reason why they would not take extra oil in a pouch or in a bucket? What was their mindset? What were they thinking? They must have been thinking one thing. They must have thought in their minds that the bridegroom would come before the oil in their lamps were all used up, meaning they weren't expecting a delay. They were putting a time, a time frame, as to when they were expecting Jesus to come, and they weren't prepared beyond that, right? It's interesting to note that in the previous parable, when we looked at the the parable of the evil um, servant who says in his heart what? what? Do you remember what he said in his heart? He said, my Lord delays his coming. So we see this contrast because in that parable, he says, my Lord is delaying his coming. He's putting the coming of the Lord far off into the future. But here, the foolish virgins now are saying what? The Lord has to come within a certain time limit, within the time wherein there is enough oil in my lamp for me to, for him to come, right? So one puts the Lord's coming far off into the future, but the other puts the Lord's coming what? So soon, very soon, that they don't prepare for the future at all. And both are a problem, okay? Look, we need to be ready at any time for Jesus to come. He may come today. He may come next year. He may come in 10 years' time. The fact is this, and and, and the lesson is this. We need to be ready right now, today, tomorrow, and every moment after that. We must never lose hold of our watching and our waiting and our preparation 
for the second coming of Jesus. It requires stamina. It requires stamina. And it requires what? Preparation, not just for the present. We got to be ready today, but we got to be ready every day after that because no man knows the day or the hour. Now, friends, what does the oil represent? Let's look at a couple of texts real quick, shall we? First, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9. The Bible says, Thou, speaking of Jesus, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So Jesus, he was anointed by God with what? The oil of gladness, all right? What is this oil? As we're trying to figure out what oil is. So Jesus was anointed by God. Let's go to another text, cross-reference this. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. The Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So we see God here anointed Jesus with what? The Holy Ghost. And so, you know, we can go to another text in Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, to prove that what? Oil represents the Holy Spirit. So look, all 10 virgins, at the very beginning at least, they all had a measure of the Holy Spirit. All right? Oil represents Holy Spirit. All 10 virgins had oil in their lamps. They had all, at least at the very beginning, the Holy Spirit. However, according to the parable, in order to have light, right, what is needed? You need an oil and a lamp as well, right? You can't just, you can't have light with just the lamp. And can you have light with just the oil? Definitely not. It's got, the, the lamp is the vessel that holds the oil, right? It's, it's the container that will hold the oil and you got to put the wick in to burn it, right? So both are needed to produce light. Both the oil and the lamp. And what does lamp represent in the Bible? You all know this. Let's go to a text real quick. Psalms 119 verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So the lamp is God's word. So in order to produce light, we need the Holy Spirit and also God's word. You cannot separate the two of them. This is what what we call true worship. This is what Jesus said was true worship. In John chapter 4 verse 24, Jesus is speaking here and he says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. Friends, just because we have the truth, it does not mean we have light. Just because we have the Bible with us. It doesn't mean that we're shining. This parable distinguishes between these two elements very clearly and distinctly. Just because you know what the Bible says, it doesn't mean that you are shining. It's possible to have this formal and intellectual understanding of the truth, but have no oil, have no Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible by itself gives us intellectual understanding of the truth, intellectual understanding of what is written in there. 
But that alone does not penetrate our hearts and transform us from within. You see, the, we, we need the Holy Spirit to work a true and thorough conversion and transformation. This is a vital element that many Christians are missing today, especially as Seventh-day Adventists. You know, we have a strong knowledge of the truth, but that alone, that alone is not enough to convert a person. That alone is not enough to change us thoroughly. Remember, we need the lamp and the oil, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, because there are many people that know the truth, but they don't want to do it, and they're missing the oil. But first, let's have a look at the New Covenant experience in the New Testament. This is God's desire for us today. It lines up with exactly what we're looking at here in this parable about the lamp and the oil. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 16, the Bible says this, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Do you see that? God wants to write His law where? In our hearts and in our minds, in two places. And yes, seemingly the same place, but you see, the mind is the intellectual aspect. There needs to be an intellectual understanding of God's Word. we got to know what the Bible says, right? we got to study it. we got to read it. We, we have to memorize it. We've got to have this intelligent understanding of the Scriptures because we got to know the directions. we got to know the, 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 the message that God has for us. All these things must be very clear. So there there has to be this intellectual part. But God, He also wants to write His law where? In our heart. And this can only be done by the Holy Spirit. I want to show you that throughout Scripture, when you study it, you will see that the heart and the Spirit, they always go together. Let me show you. Psalms 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do you see that? God wants to create a clean, new heart in us, but then He also wants to renew a right spirit. These two go hand in hand. Let's look at another text. Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. A new heart is synonymous with a new spirit. Let's look at one more. Romans chapter 2, verse 29. Look at this. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of what? The heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Circumcision of the heart, friends, it is not a physical circumcision that God was always referring to, but a spiritual act. It is the Spirit that true conversion is experienced. It is through the Spirit that true conversion it is experienced. It is only as we receive the Holy Spirit that we can have a true conversion and spiritual transformation. Look, the fruits of the Spirit, only then can be seen in our lives. Others can see and testify the fact that we are walking with Jesus. So friends, we must have the Spirit and the truth. Having the Spirit alone is not enough. Having the truth alone is not enough. One without the other is just as dangerous 
as the other. Look, to have truth without the spirit will make our religion degrade into this formal religion. We'll become legalists trying to work our way to heaven, a list of do's and don'ts, and that's it, right? But to have the spirit without any truth, we're just nice people with no standards. And therefore, there's no differentiation between the Christian and those that are not Christian, the Christian who follows God and those that are of the world. We're, we're, we're just no better than a nice worldling. You see that? So we got to have standards. we got to have instruction. God has given us a way in which we can live the most optimum and abundant life here on this earth and what it means to be a true follower of Jesus, what it means to be like Jesus, not to walk away to heaven, but that we might be a blessing to the whole world. Because some of us, we think, hey, it's okay to have a, a white lie, say a white lie to help my friend. But the Bible, the God says, look, it's never good to lie, full stop, whether you think it's for a good cause or not. So we have to be so careful. So mind you, look, all 10 virgins, they had their lamps filled with oil, remember. They had the Word of God in their hand, and it was shining bright by the power of the Holy Ghost. But what happened? Let's go back to Matthew 25. It says in verse 5 that while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. The bridegroom was delayed, and when his, he was delayed, they all fell asleep. All of their lamps went out. Now look, I don't think that their lamp going out is them falling into sin and falling away from the truth. You know, in that case, all ten virgins should be foolish virgins, right? But God is not condoning sin. You know, what is represented by these foolish virgins and wise virgins, all ten virgins, what is represented by them falling asleep? Look, it can be similar to like John the Baptist when he was in prison. When he was sitting in prison and Jesus didn't come to, to save him out of prison, he began to question whether Jesus really was the Messiah or not because Jesus didn't save him. Come on, Jesus, you're my cousin. You know the great work I've done for you. But he never came to save John the Baptist out of prison. And even though he was questioning, his faith didn't let go of Christ altogether. There were doubts, for sure. But when his disciples came back and told him all that they had seen and heard of what Jesus was doing, he was healing, he was preaching, he was teaching the gospel to everybody, his faith was revived. And he held on firm until the end, until the day that he was executed by Herod. So look, I'm sure all of us have doubts when we go through trials or things don't turn out as we expect. You know, maybe some of us, we, we tend to doubt God because we aren't earning as much as our classmates that graduated the same time as us and in the same course as well. Or maybe some of us, we, we doubt God because God hasn't granted us a life partner. Some of us maybe were tempted to doubt God because even though we studied so hard, we didn't get the grades that we expected and we were hoping for, you know? So even though all 10 virgins fell asleep, only one group had the extra oil. They still continued to pray. They still continued to study the Word of God. They were still keeping their experience fresh, even though they didn't have all the answers. How come the bridegroom isn't here yet? Why is he delayed? Where is he? How, how come it seems like he doesn't love us and he's not coming to take us into to his wedding feast, right? So there were doubts, but they didn't let go 
of their faith. They didn't let go of continuing to pray and continuing to study the Word of God. This requires stamina, my friends. Because why? When the bridegroom finally appeared, what happened? Matthew 25, verse 6 and 7, At midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. They all woke up. They trimmed their lamps. What does it mean to trim your lamp? You see, they had to trim the wick. Why? Because the wick, it burnt up. Not that it was burnt away, but it it had gotten black and so they couldn't light it easily even though the the oil was there because it formed this hard black surface on the outside. So they had to trim it up so that the the wick, it could, the the cloth in a sense, it could soak up all that oil again so they could relight it. You know, friends, if we want the oil to be effective, we need to trim away all that burnt exterior of that wick that's already been made black by the flame. What does it represent? We need to trim away our past experience and have a fresh experience with God every day. It must be soaked with the oil of God's Spirit every day. There should be fresh victories. You know, we can't say, ah, 10 years ago I was doing this, or, you know, I I, I was serving God. Yeah, I know what it was like back then, 15 years ago. That's what I was doing already. But friends, are you still... Are you still being faithful to God today? Are you still studying the Word of God today? This is a new year. Let's put the year behind us of 2021. As many victories you have may have had or whatever your sins of the past, we can put all that aside. Today, we've got to have a fresh experience with God. We must grow in our characters every day. The law of God must be written in our hearts and minds every day. It must be a daily experience. The foolish virgins, they had a form of the truth, but nothing had been changing in their lives. You see that? Whereas the wise virgins, they had that extra oil because they'd been storing up day by day. They had been preparing. And it wasn't just a one-day preparation. It was a continual experience, studying the Word of God day by day and His truth and allowing His Spirit to penetrate their hearts, to work a mighty change in their characters. Friends, that's called conversion. That's justification, where God forgives us, cleanses away our sin, but it's sanctification. Daily growth, daily change. Just like a marriage, you never graduate from your marriage, it's daily growth. It's daily change to getting to know that that person that you've you've committed your life to every day more and more. It's not just a partnership to work together and getting stuff done. No, it's also getting to know that person as well. But what happens to the foolish virgins? Let's keep reading the parable, shall we? Verse 8 and 9 of Matthew 25. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. The foolish, they tried to get oil from those that had bought extra. But they answered saying, there was not enough for both of them, both parties. They needed to go and buy it for themselves. Now look, were the wise virgins being foolish and being selfish? Of course not, right? It's not that, hey, I don't want to give you any. No, it's not like their bad character was coming out all of a sudden. It's just showed that, look, in order to get this oil, it had to be 
a personal experience. They had to buy it for themselves. The experience of someone else could not cover their experience. So this oil experience, storing up this extra oil is a personal experience. And it's not that you can buy the Holy Ghost. What does this buying represent? Look, it shows that there has to be some sort of sacrifice. If you want the Holy Spirit to truly work in your hearts, you'll need to sacrifice. We need to give up something. And no one else's sacrifice can cover another person. It's personal, friends. Look, marriage is a, is, is a, is a union of sacrifice. It is. Sharing of a bed, sharing of expenses, sharing of, you know, that you have to sacrifice your time, right? Especially when you have kids, then it becomes a step higher. But I guess some parents do do it grudgingly. But if you have love in your hearts, this is not sacrifice. This is what you would do anyways for your children, isn't it? So if we want to buy the Holy Spirit, if we want to buy that oil, there needs to be sacrifice, but sacrifice what? What do we need to sacrifice? To most of us, to most of us, it is simply giving time, giving priority to God in the midst of a busy schedule. And in order to do that, we probably have to cut out other things so that we can make room for that time with Jesus and His Word. Whether that's working less, spending less time on your relationship, cutting out some form of entertainment or leisure activity, even if it's less of sports or, or less of exercise, or even spending less time with your friends, not just sitting around socializing all the time, eating your lunch a bit faster. Not so much that you get indigestion, of course, but, you know, there has to be sacrifice somewhere. And no one else can sacrifice on your behalf, friends. It's a personal experience. It's a personal decision that you have to make. So the foolish virgins, they ran off quickly to go and buy some more oil. But while they were gone, what happened? And when they came back, what did they find? Matthew 25, verses 10 through 13. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that went and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. When those vir foolish virgins went off to buy more oil, the bridegroom would finally appear. And the five wise virgins followed him into the marriage and the door was shut. But the foolish virgins, they would come back and they would knock on the door and they would ask for entrance. How did the Lord reply? He said what? I don't know you. But you see, the interesting thing is now they had oil in their lamps and the lamp was probably burning with light, right? It seems like the Holy Spirit's with them again, right? Why would they be kept out of the wedding feast? Why would Jesus say, I don't know you? Who are you, right? You see, what is the dividing line between the wise and the foolish virgin? What was it that qualified the wise to go in? It's because they were ready. They were ready when the bridegroom arrived. 
They had their lamps burning with light from the oil that they were able to refill from their vessels when the bridegroom came to the wedding. They were able to enter in because they knew the bridegroom and the bridegroom was with them. So friends, to simply have the truth is not enough to prepare us for the second coming of Jesus. That truth must lead us to have a personal encounter with Jesus. And in order for that to happen, we need to have the Holy Spirit living in our lives. And as long as we are with Jesus, then we can enter. Why did the Lord reply to the foolish virgins, I don't know you? It's because they didn't know the truth. Or it's possible to know the truth, but not know Jesus. It's possible to know the doctrines of your church, but not know who Jesus is to you personally. You can love the truth, but it doesn't mean that you love God. That's why the law must be written in two places. Where? Our hearts and our minds, right? And also, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can write that law in our hearts. And that's exactly what the foolish ones were missing. They had the lamp without the oil. And also, they had they didn't have, and it's really because they didn't have extra oil in their vessels. You know, there are many Christians out there today that think, oh, when Jesus comes, then I can get ready. Or when I see the signs of the times, only then I'll get ready. You know, they don't, they don't find the urgency to make extra and early preparation today. They think, oh yeah, God will give me second probation. I'll have a second chance. Many people think that after Jesus comes, those that are on the earth still, they'll, you know, there's this, there's this false teaching out there that, oh, there'll be another second trial. That's when the mark of the beast is and all that. No, friends, the mark of the beast and all of that takes place before the second coming of Jesus. So there is no second probation. There's no second chance after Jesus comes at the second coming. That's the only time. We have another parable about the rich man and Lazarus who says, oh, you know, please dip your finger in the water and cool my tongue. No, there's no more second chance. No more blessings on, of heaven can fall upon the wicked after Jesus has come. When he comes, that's it. The door is closed. Probation has ended. And even though these virgins are like repenting, and oh God, God, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm praying now, I'm praying now. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit now. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit now. God says it's too late. The time to change your character is not at the second coming. And really, the time to change your character is not when you meet with an emergency. You know why? We don't have time to think in an emergency, in a crisis situation. The time to, to get ready for the second coming, the time to prepare for war, the time to allow God to chisel away at your character, it's a time when it's peaceful. When all things are good, that's now. That's now. The preparation is needed now. God says, you got to do that now. And you see, friends, many of us, we are neglecting that needed preparation. Even in this new year, maybe some of us, many of us are, have marred this year with walking away from Jesus or being too busy to even be with Jesus. But friends, it's not too late. We can still get off on the right foot and God forgives and He says, look, come to me. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I'm waiting. But there is not going to be a second probation after the second coming of Jesus. You know, having a head knowledge about Jesus today is not enough. Yes, we should start there. We, we, we need to get the lamp to hold the oil. We need 
to spend time in the Bible. But we must make sure that that lamp is filled with oil. Otherwise, it's all just a form. It's all just a list of do's and don'ts. And that can never save us, friends. Only Jesus can. In all our interactions with Christ in His Word, let's never ever forget to pray for the Holy Spirit. Many of us, we've gone through the doctrine studies and we find it difficult to apply or we just go, ah, Christianity is not for me because why? It's become this burden. It's become this ball and chain that's holding us down and we want to have fun and our definition of fun is all in the world because we have not allowed the Holy Spirit to change us, to change your taste buds, to change your desires, to change you into the man or woman that God wants you to be. We need the oil in the lamp. But you know, friends, we also need oil in the vessel as well. We need His Spirit to give us understanding in His Word. That's the oil in the lamp. But we need the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives as well. That's the vessel. Let me show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What is this vessel? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power be of God and not of us. You see, the treasure is the treasure of that Holy Spirit, that thing that only God can give. But what is that earthen vessel? That's you and me. This earthen vessel that God wants to empty of self, that He wants to fill up full with His Holy Spirit. And then when He can do that, then the excellency of the power is all attributed to God, not to us. We can't do it. Friends, the desire to change in and of ourselves is not even possible. We must pray more than ever that God would give us His Spirit today. Help us understand His Word, but transform our lives as well. He is so ever willing and ready to do it. If only we would ask. This is the one and most special gift that Jesus, that God wants to give us above anything else that we ask from Him. His Spirit to illumine our hearts and our minds, to help us to understand His Word, but also His Spirit to help fill our lives so that we can be like Christ. Have you been trying really hard to live the Christian life without the help of the Holy Spirit and from God? Friends, that's an impossibility. It will just drive you into depression. All that will result in is failure after failure. You keep reading the Bible, but don't ask for the Holy Spirit. It's not enough, friends. It's just failure and failure. There's no victory found in that at all. I'm sure the Holy Spirit has helped you to understand the Word and all the teachings there, but what we need now is for the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. And it's only as we finally come to a realization that we cannot do it on our own, that we will ask for help, ask from God for His Spirit. Friends, let's stop living a life of disappointments, life of failure, life of heartache. Let's start praying for God to fill us every day so that we can live a Spirit-filled, victorious life in Christ. May that be our experience today. The roadmap is so simple. 
all you need to do is ask. All we need to do is ask. And if we do, God will change you. Yes, He will. Not me. He. He will change you into the man and woman that He wants you to be. But you got to pray for His Spirit. And make sure that as you pray for the Spirit to guide you, that as you're praying for the Spirit to understand the Word of God, that your life will be in harmony with His Word. That has to be our prayer today. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for your Word. But I thank you even more for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, a promise that you've promised to all of us, if only we would ask. And so, Lord, on behalf of my brothers and sisters that are listening this evening, I'm asking that you would please pour out your Holy Spirit in a great measure into each and every one of our lives. If there is any of us who have been struggling with sin for many years, and we've got to the point where we're almost disheartened and we're almost ready to give up hope because we're wondering, God, why is there no power in your Word? It's because we've not been praying for your Spirit to fill our hearts, our vessels, this earthen vessel, Lord that the excellency of the power to transform us from a child of Satan into a child of God, it can all be yours. Lord, take all the glory. Just change our lives today. Make us, mold us, fashion us into your image that truly we can have joy and peace and love and contentment in this life. Bless us, O Lord. Bless us with your spirit, not with anything else but your spirit only. Help us to see that this is the only thing that can satisfy our heart's desires. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering this humble prayer. For we've prayed it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org